Here we go, guys. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah! Woo! Bum, 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 bum. Mm, as the swings are. Strings are swelling, Jimbo. I know you can't hear it, but the listeners can, and you'll hear it later. The glorious Avengers theme. Composed by Danny Elfman and Brian Tyler. Yep. Yeah, that was. That was. Go ahead. A, a, a movie. <laughs> that was such a big movie. I remember. I remember coming out of that theater, hopeful and knowing things were going to change forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I Little took... did we know back then that uh, how big the Scarlet Witch was going to be. With, well, uh, okay. Well, I mean, like, like, you know, like we didn't know that she would end up ha leading a, uh, um, a TV show. So. So Jason Jimbo Ritter, One Division, is a thing, right now, and it was. It's 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 way more than a thing than I expected. We're gonna we're gonna get it's into a, the nitty gritty a little bit today. Um, but really, I want to do impressionistic stuff today. Maybe go through a few clips, um, guys. Just really quickly, we got Jason on audio with the very adorable photo of him there. Just because uh, we wanted to get this going, and Zoom can be a pain in the butt. We'll have video in the future like we have in the past. And as you see oh, up on the I screen, I have my YouTube. Um, so we'll be able to go through some of the, the official WandaVision clips and, and revisit some of it. Um, uh, but Jason, when we did our podcast back in September, where I was just totally giddy because it was really the first major Marvel thing we did. And it was, you know, this was the thing I was excited about all along. Um, because just to circle back to the beginning of the Bizzlecast and welcome if you're first time listeners and if you're long time listeners, welcome back. And I apologize, but I had to take the year off for a whole bunch of reasons. And then a few commentaries here or there, but Jason, I initially thought it was going to be Star Wars based, but after Captain America, the Winter Soldier and, uh, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, X-Men Days of Future Past, and then leading into Ultron, which I was so pumped about, end up loving, um, to an extraordinary degree, the strength of the Bizzlecast, at least until Rogue One, so the first two years, basically, 2015, 2016, was really the strength of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I was so blown away by Ultron, um, specifically because of the character relationships. And as we talked about in that podcast, we've talked about before, and we might talk about tonight, uh, the, uh, uh, the Scarlet Witch, um, well, we, I guess if she wasn't officially called the Scarlet Witch until the show, which we'll talk about that, Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen, her relationship with Jeremy Renner, what they brought out of each other. Um, and y you know I'm a guy that loves to make podcasts. 
uh, uh, predictions. Uh, I mean, everyone knows that I like to backpack, but I also, you know, when I'm wrong. Um, but in 2015, there were two young actresses that I was convinced were going to be giant superstars. One of them had been a child star, and I didn't know where she would be a superstar, but I knew she would, and that would be Haley Steinfeld, which is even more bizarre with the Marvel-Jeremy Renner connection, although maybe not such a coincidence. We'll get into that. And the other one was Elizabeth Olsen, based totally on her vocal um, acting and physical performance, the way she I thought she completely embodied the role from the beginning. And um, I want to start talking about general impressions of WandaVision because if people are listening to this, most of America has seen it um, uh, at this point. And so we don't have to do too long of an intro. I'll circle back to some of the stuff we talked about before. I really want to get into general impressions and then talking about specifics. But really quickly, man, before I throw it to you, and thank you so much for being on. Um, and guys, we have this live streaming, but most of you will watch it on YouTube VOD later. I apologize for the opening 10 minutes. Actually, it wasn't too bad with the sound check. And it'll be an audio podcast as well. Um, uh, but Jason, um, uh, uh, I just have a feeling about certain young actors and actresses, specifically young actresses, um, various levels, like, you know, Anna Kendrick and Pitch Perfect, she was also getting kind of famous at that point, you know, but I was like, man, this she's going to be America's sweetheart one day. Um, but Elizabeth Olsen, I guess, was really going out on, on on a ledge. And when I listened back to the Ultron podcast, which you've listened to and the follow-ups, I was convinced um, based on the performance um, and just her presence. And as a mutant guy, an X-Men guy growing up, and we'll get to the fact that she was an X-Men, maybe she is now, whatever, it doesn't matter. She's still the Scarlet Witch. The way she got the personality and the powers of Wanda so immediately, um, and, and it just, you know, the more I watched it and, and the way she interacted with Renner, um, who really stole parts of the movie as sort of the heart of the movie. We'll get back to Renner perhaps, um, because then they appeared in the Great Wind River together as well. And now he's sort of working, mentoring with Haley Steinfeld in sort of a similar way. I was just, I, I don't know what it was. It was, it, it, you know, it wasn't like the Ahsoka thing, which was, you know, uh, like uh, came from lots of study and talking and, you know, stuff over years and blah, blah, blah. It was just like, boom, one performance. I even had forgotten she was an Olsen sister when I first saw it. That sort of came to light later. That's definitely going to come up because of the sort of meta full house Olsen thing that was going on. And she has older twins and, you know, she's a twin in the show and she has twins. And my sister has twins. It's just totally, totally bonkers. So really quick, Jason, with that long intro and welcome back, I do apologize that first one wasn't released. I teased you many times that I was going to release clips of it, but instead I just listened to a bunch of it numerous times and took notes uh, of, of the funnier and more interesting parts. Like it was like during the one month period where I had cooled on Haley Steinfeld right before they finally signed her. Uh, and it's funny to listen back on that, you know, with how much I jumped back on that train immediately. I think that was just, um, what do they call that? Not a lover's quarrel. Like, uh, it was like being, yeah. it was like, I felt like I was being rejected because she was rejecting what was clear she should t take the Marvel role. Anyways, maybe we'll get back to Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner, but there's some great stuff on that podcast. So welcome back. This is the one that we really need to release though. 
I was totally giddy on that one. Um, I'm in a different state of mind now. Uh, I'm definitely going to be, you know, uh, uh, effusive. Um, but you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. I, I, you know, did what I've been doing with The Expanse and other shows. Now, The Witcher, I watched all immediately before anyone did. Like, it's, you know, eight hours straight. This, I knew I was going to get spoiled on, 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 uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. But I didn't really care because I wanted to see the performances and the production and I wanted to see that my Lindsay after all these years was getting her due and was going to become the giant star that she is I'm this is my encapsulation and I'm throwing it to you right now Jason Jimbo Ritter I am not surprised that she did this well I'm not surprised that she is where she should be in terms of respect and, you know, up there with Haley and some other young actors and actresses, Tom Holland, I can name a few others. Maybe we'll go into that from that, you know, mid to late 20s into the early 30s group that is just killing it right now, um, both in the superhero and mainstream genre and, and elsewhere. I will say uh, my first thought about the show was that it's not better than I thought it could be, but this was the absolute highest, highest peak in terms of production and writing and execution I could have imagined. And the thing that does shock me, though, is the extent and speed to which America in general has fallen in love with this, and especially Elizabeth Olsen, who has clearly jumped ahead. Uh, well, I, Gal Gadot's another story, but outside yeah. of that, has clearly jumped ahead as the most beloved and just the one that people are most fascinated in now and into the future in the comic book world. I saw it all along, and I think Kelly Steinfeld's going to get there too. Um, and I'll talk later about my long-running prediction that I feel more confident now uh, that they're going to be the Stark-Rogers dynamic um, frenemies, uh, and that's going to serve important plot and character purposes going forward. So... I sort of broke that down into my expectations for the show, my expectations for Lizzie, and my expectations for the reception of Lizzie. So on those topics, you can take them any different ways, um, and you can start any which way. Um, what are initial impressions um, uh, based on uh, um, watching it live, watching it ahead of me, being very good at not ruining spoilers, um, having some time to think about it, um, and you can start with the show, you can start with Lizzie, you can start with Lizzie and the show, you can start with the reception, any of those things. When you think about WandaVision today, March 15th, 2021, with a little time to digest it, where are, uh, and, and we're not going to talk about the fringe people who always complain about everything, um, and are the same people that were pissed when I helped get uh, Gina Carano fired. You're welcome, Gina Carano. That was one of, that was one of the most satisfying days of my life. Have fun being a right-wing lunatic, you fucking crazy person. But anyways, uh, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to stick to positivity, which is really most uh, country and even beyond positivity, which is love. I mean, I I'm getting reception from men and women who have no interest in this stuff. Even friends of mine who are casually into Star Wars, and that is it, you know, because Americans can be casually into Star Wars, are more than casually into this. Um, and that's been mind-blowing to me. So, all right, I'll shut up, throw it to you, WandaVision, go. All right, well, I guess we're going to start with how we were all introduced where Marvel pulled, or Disney tried to pull a fast one on the Clicker guys because 
the week before they kept trying to promote a prequel, which ended up being a clip show of Wanda and Vision, which do we really need a clip show? To, okay, back, to, up, back, to, up, back, to, up, back 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 up. Forget the clip shows, forget the promises. Yeah. Forget well, the we'll things that may or not we'll happen. I want to hear specifically about WandaVision. I know you loved it. We're going to get to what you love, oh, what you love more than oh. others. But your your impression of the reception to it and Lizzie's performance and her breakoutness to the point where, you know, there's already a push among nerds and non-nerds that she should at least be in the running for all the awards. Yeah, so WandaVision... Was a roller coaster for sure. Uh, I like the first two. Like I remember the first two episodes and being kind of blown away how it's basically a parody of all the uh, sitcoms from the uh, from Dick Van Dyke to uh, The Office, pretty much, and how they were nailing it. And she nails like every period of sitcom ever. So. For that, she should, you know, win an Emmy, of course. Because they did, of course, my favorite one was the uh, one where they went into the uh, Full House parody. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, I mean, there was the direct Full House parody that was shot like Full House. The color was Full House. The costumes were Full House. And, of course, the surprise guest at the end, Evan Peters, which you and I were both kind of right and wrong about. Um, the Evan yeah. Peters thing. <laughs> But I just want to make clear to people two things. One, I'm not going to say they definitively said she was born with powers at this point, therefore making her a mutant. Hey, guys, right. hold on, hold on, hold on. Jason, okay. <laughs> I'm going to point out the stuff where I was wrong and where I was right, okay? And I listened to that podcast numerous times. And I specifically said the best thing to do would be to say she was born with powers and it was enhanced by Hydra. And as far as I can tell, that's what maybe happened. Just let me finish this train of thought. Related to that, people think because of the Evan Peters thing and then he turned out just to be a brainwashed, you know, slave minion of Agatha the whole time. Kevin Feige, as we've talked about, doesn't treat his audience like they're idiots and the only red herring, like real red herring, meaning a complete misdirect that leads nowhere in the history of Marvel was Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin. That's the only one. Everything else, even things that didn't seem big at the time, have led to things like Vision and Wanda having some moments in Age of Ultron that pay off six years later. And it's not a coincidence that they brought a very, very, very recognizable Fox X-Men character into it. It doesn't matter that he's not, you know, Quicksilver. And you could kind of tell from the beginning. And one of the things I want to talk about in this podcast and future podcasts is the surreality of the whole thing. As I described it to people, at least through the first few episodes, it's the Truman Show. But it's, it's the Truman Show where the people inside the show and outside the show aren't sure what's going on, which makes it extra interesting. It's not just Jim Carrey and everyone else is in on it, right? I mean, we th and, then, uh, and then, hold on, and then we, here's the summary, and then we think Wanda is totally in on it, but then it's Agatha all along, and it, she's actually not in on it either. And so I want to make two things clear. 
Um, one thing clear, uh, the two examples I said about her, I think, being born with powers, uh, or at least teasing heavily, and bringing Evan Peters, regardless of who he ended up being, being such an iconic X-Men, which is... This isn't the House of M. You were already flipping in that last podcast that they were going to really go into X-Men. I told you that wasn't going to happen here. It would happen in Doctor Strange 2. But I said they would tease the X-Men. And in my mind, between those two things, especially the Born with the Powers, this is exactly the starting to tease the X-Men. And Feige is a master at bringing in the right thing in the right amount at the right time. And you know what? We might have won in McAvoy. We might have Fassbender, etc. This was the right way to do it, to just tickle it because it's going to take some time to do. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe has its own thing going on. Um, and, and with the magic that we're going to talk about. Um, and, and so I just want to make that clear to the audience. You can believe what you want to believe, but as a hardcore X-Men person, this was exactly how I said it was going to happen, that they would quote-unquote retcon, which is not a retcon, because she was born with powers, we didn't know it, and Hydra enhanced them, which is why she's so powerful, and I think Agatha was also born with powers as well, and that was teased more than a little bit with how much more powerful that she was than the witches, and how much she feels tied uh, to Wanda, the big bad guy, but I'm getting ahead of myself here with that, but I just wanted to get that out, because I have been listening to that podcast a lot recently, and taking notes for this one, I wanted to make clear that we had a big X-Men discussion, Ryan Reynolds had just been brought on board, and I don't know if his name appeared in the credits, but there's no doubt in my mind that the, the, the amazing X-Men uh, lore tie-in of Deadpool 2, and now they have it at Disney and bringing Ryan Reynolds in. This is the first step towards the House of M. It's definitely going to happen. It's a question of when. Um, there's no other possible conclusion to the story. Um, uh, I'm not saying it's going to conclude exactly like it does in the House of M. And guys, this is the big one. The Maximoff goes crazy and kills a bunch of people, including most of the mutants thing. We might get back to later. Um, but, uh, I mean, you can comment on this. I, I, I mean, let me put it this way, Jason. Do you at least accept my premise that they didn't definitively say not? Yeah, they, they, uh, definitely didn't, uh, say that it's not Wanda, because some of it is Wanda, and some of it could have been Agatha, and then some of it could have been Hayward, again, the most useless villain in the MCU, but that, you know, it could be a mixture of all three. The important thing about this show was that, so the X-Men thing is two levels of nerddom, where even a lot of Marvel Cinematic Universe fans who aren't X-Men people might not have noticed, you know, what was going on. And be like, oh, that's the guy who did the cool Quicksilver scenes or whatever, and it wasn't Aaron Taylor Johnson, who was her actual brother, and we saw scenes of Aaron Taylor Johnson, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, the first level is just Marvel nerds, and, dude, what this did... And I know I'm going to make the comparison, man. I always do. But I have to make the comparison to Rogue One, which is if you are a deep dive Star Wars nerd, there was so much to sink your teeth into in Rogue One. But the reason Rogue One tracked so well among the average audience overperformed what they expected in the darkest and most violent Disney movie ever that had reshoots and pop, you know, people weren't sure it was going to go was wildly successful in the mainstream and among nerds and has grown in popularity over time to the point where it's at the top of a lot of people's list now, especially with the controversy over the other four movies and especially the saga movies and how that has sat. But the reason 
reason that tracks so well is because it was a brilliant movie that had just enough Star Wars references for the casual fan and had tons of Star Wars references for the non-casual fan. Throw it to you. Do you think this show had that balance and that is why it's so successful is because you and I, like every two minutes of every episode is like, ah, ah, ah. But it was also amazing drama that if you just jump in, and this is one of your first Marvel properties, Jessica Jones, you know, or, or the Netflix shows would be the other comparison, um, just in terms of great television. Um, did you find it, it struck that balance? And do you think that's contributing to its popularity among all types of audiences around the country? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I really think it's, I think it struck the balance pretty good because uh, the first three episodes had kind of a... Uh, best way to describe it is a Twin Peaks feeling because you can tell everything is not all right on the surface. So, But then in episode four, we get the uh, the Jimmy Woo episodes with our boy Randall Park, so, who is amazing, of course. So, so what I... And, th- uh, no, I'm good. Keep talking. And we also get some great scenes with one of your favorite side NCU characters, uh, Darcy Lewis. Love Kat Dennings. Kat Dennings came up in our prediction podcast, which was that we knew there had to be a reality outside because there's no way Kat Dennings, you know, uh, would, would do what Agatha did, you know, and sneak up into her subconsciousness out of nowhere. And so I thought it was a great decision in episode four to, you know, to just completely go outside of the bubble and because it was a mystery on both sides. Did it make sense what I was saying about it being a mystery on both sides? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, with Cat uh, Dennings and, uh, and Randall Park trying to discover Hayward stuff because I think Hayward was probably created because they didn't want to make Wanda the main villain of the show. But we really didn't need him because we had uh, – Agatha, to be honest. But well, we're going to talk about you know the level to which Agatha was a supervillain. You know, when you look deeply at it, it's complicated. And the level to which Elizabeth Olsen's uh, the Scarlet Witch character, you know, at least it took until after the show for people to start being like, wait, she basically, as I said, killed. I mean, I saw it right away because the response of the people in the town about it hurting in their brains was exactly the way on Netflix. And again, I'm telling you, Kevin Feige watches everything, whether he's responsible for not. It's not a coincidence. People were talking about her mind control, exactly how people talked about being Kilgraved in Jessica Jones. Um, the tone of it was the same. The going in and out of it was the same. And she wasn't raping them. But Kilgrave also was not raping everyone he mind controlled. It's just he was mind controlling everyone. <clears throat> and he said he couldn't help it. That's the whole issue if you watch Jessica Jones, whether he's lying or not. Um, you know, what, what, you know, he said there's a line where David Tennant goes, I once told a man to fuck himself. Can you imagine? <laughs> um uh, but uh, it's really messed up what she did to an entire town of people. You know, it was arguably as bad in terms of invading their brain in a type of mental rape. I talked about with, you know, Kylo Ren and Ray, and talked about with Jessica Jones and, and Kilgrave and a lot of people. You know, we, you know, we knowing the Scarlet Witch are, are prepared for this. Um, 
So uh, let me throw it to you. We can sort of work, we're already sort of working backwards um, from the big picture stuff and towards the end, which is you, when you saw all this going on, you immediately, of course, was like, uh-oh, this is the beginning of the unraveling of Wanda. And then more and more so as it went along. Now, by the end, it was a hero story of her trying to save the fake family and the fake husband and everything. It's questionable whether she really did anything good the whole time other than letting people go that she had been mind-controlled. Um, uh, your thoughts about that and the fact that America is, you know totally fine with this and whether they realize it immediately or afterwards that it's messed up or it hasn't sunk in yet or they think she's a hero is all very interesting and my theory is the same thing i said from the beginning it is the appealingness and relatability and charisma and greatness of elizabeth olsen and while she obviously is gorgeous and insanely talented there's something eminently relatable about her that not many actresses have and you know, the, the, the amount of merchandise around the Scarlet Witch, I think, is setting a record. I mean, we'll see how it compares to Wonder Woman, ultimately. Um, but, uh, you know, being a Disney Plus show, it was right on the border of, you know, little girls or at least like, you know, uh, middle school girls or whatever, high school girls for sure, you know, watching this kind of thing. What's your response to this? You and I knowing that she goes crazy we already have sympathy for her in her story, right? Going into this yeah. because of her story in the comic books. Did you find her? Let me put it this way. Let me ask it to you personally, and then we'll expand it to other people. You personally, what you know about Wanda and what you've read in the House of M and other places and you know, researched over the years and so forth, did this feel like that balance of she's really disturbed, she's really disturbing, but I sympathize with her, but also she's really evil? you know, and all of these things going on, like, did they strike a similar balance to you from, from your impressions going in? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, also, you know, a lot of people that watching would have figured out this show was not going to end well episode four when she talks the vision and then she looks back and she sees a grayed out vision with, with a giant hole in his head, which was felt very Doom Patrol, to be honest. Yeah. Where she just looks, and it look, all looks like, met, he looks all messed up. And then in one of the episodes later, when she sees uh, not Quicksilver, with like all the uh, bullet things in his head, and he looks like a, almost looks like a, like a zombie. So. So you have to work backwards, because even though I haven't watched it twice, I was able to piece everything backwards with Agatha all along, which was from the very first episode, there were numerous moments, increasingly as it went, as it went along, but starting with the heart on the date, the very first thing that happened in the show where she's confused, and once we learn that she's fully, supposedly in control and the creator of this thing, three or four episodes into it, <clears throat> she seems to be the puppet master, but like in the Full House episode, there's that scene where Agatha says, oh, should I redo my line in Vision, right? That's sort of the turning point because that's when Vision yeah. is like something is wrong and Lizzie denies it. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'll stop calling her Lizzie. Wanda denies it. You can see she's confused. She's not putting together. Agatha would, is the only person who is able to uh, actualize 
uh, a self-aware thought, you know, and is not fully under her mind control because she's just so confused. This is exactly, you know, a, a brilliant complex picture of what happens to people who are very disturbed and very mentally ill with that level of power, right? And so when you go back... Yeah. So everything I said about her, you can structure this whole thing as her being just completely selfish and evil um, and uh, what she did to the people and even what she did to the vision and, you know, her potentially her kids. Are they real? You know, is it fair what she did to them? Uh, are they still going to be around? Everything's through the mind gem. That's big philosophical stuff. But, dude, you also yeah. can explain all the evil as Agatha. I mean, the, yeah, the initial... Much. Right? I mean, it's possible Agatha even planted the seeds to make Westview. Go ahead. Yeah, because we're going to skip a few episodes ahead, but what we see from the episode where she, during the Salem Witch Trials, she is, she can steal people's magic. Mm -hmm. When she lies, she uses the people to, uh, uses them to to just take their magic and, you know, so she can become more powerful. Okay. Agatha all along. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about the performances in a bit. People have watched it maybe a little confused. A, you said ahead of time that you knew most of the big things that happened in the show. I'd be curious overall if, uh, if that I, turned out to be I, the case. I, I thought I did. And, then and what did I say to you? And what did I say to you? What Do you remember what I said to you? Do you remember what I said to you? I said, Jason, people like Kevin Feige and most of the actors, I know like people like Ruffalo occasionally spoil some things, but these people know specifically and are instructed specifically to mislead the audience for while they complain about it, we ultimately want to be misled because we want to be surprised. I said that to you ahead of time. And this isn't bragging. I'm just glad that that's the case and you didn't know all the things. So we won't dwell on that. Agatha all along, did you suspect it before Agatha all along no. was revealed? No. Okay. I did, but also, so, okay. Some, well, somehow I was able, the, the internet was pretty good overall if you didn't explore all the links. So, you know, by the time I got to watch the episodes and binged it a few days after it ended, I hadn't heard Agatha all along, but I'd seen a lot of gifts of her um, that were funny but also kind of weird. But then I was like, oh, that could just be Catherine Hahn. As I've told you, I have the ability to tune out spoilers and, and take it in fresh. So I guess the best way I can put this is when Agatha all along was revealed, I had a huge smile on my face. I was 80% surprised, 20% kind of new, both from instinct and from what I'd seen online. But you said you were surprised having known some stuff going in did, was your uh, what was your reaction when that happened well first off as uh, most people have said on the internet the song definitely does slap so totally <laughs> no no well it's got to slap enough to be number one uh on the song charts for a few weeks after it aired so and the, the catchy ditties, first of all, the music team did a spectacular job with the ditties the whole time. But just like uh, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, you got to save your best song for the best time. 
now to us according to The Witcher, they introduced it early because it was important to get the theme of the show going to establish some humor and to establish the musical element and that they would bring it back in sort of comedic elements, you know, as it went along. Here they built up and each song was, I'm not going to say better, but, you know, it, it certainly built, um, let's put it this way, each uh, each of the intro songs to the uh, 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 the, the, the sitcoms as we jump to new, uh, you know, decades with each episode, were at least as good as the last, but that made them better because it was impressive that they kept it up so that when they dropped Agatha All Along, which is a brilliant ditty, uh, little tune combined with a brilliant reveal at the moment in the whole thing, right? It was like the perfect musical plot character buildup. I can't even describe it. I don't know what to compare it to other than like Hamilton or something like that. Yeah, I, I would... Compare it to Hamilton, you know. It's a song that definitely gets stuck in your head for a, a while. So, Bizzlecast listeners, something I did not predict. I predicted this would be great. I predicted Elizabeth also would be great. I did not predict there would be Hamilton comparisons and the music would play such a large part. I definitely did not. Uh, did, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about Agatha, just the music in general as a quick sidebar. Anything else you want to talk about with the music overall? Um, uh, not really, but, you know, most of the... Uh, Themes. When you listen to some of the themes of the uh, of the episode, you can there's like an underlying thing of you can tell where Wanda's or Agatha's state is at in the show, like the Full House episode and the uh, well, the Malcolm in the Middle type episode song. You can kind of hear where they're like, I think one of the lyrics is "Keep it going, keep it going." So that kind of hints towards her trying to keep this illusion going and not trying to deal with her grief. Let's go there. Let's go there because you've talked about grief. Um, I, mean, you, I mean, you talked about it ahead of time as a main thing that was going to be uh, part of this. Um, and it certainly delivered on that front. Um, how did you think it treated uh, the issue of grief? Um both in sort of a wide aspect as just a, a dramatic show and a character study, but also, you know, that we've been living with her grief, right? The death of her brother, right. the double death of Vision, the death of Natasha, you know, who is like an older sister slash, tr- you know, like trained her and so forth, right? I mean, she arguably lost more than anybody in the Avengers over the last six years, even before she was an Avenger. So go ahead and talk about that for a little bit. Yes, yeah, so... This whole episode, like, the episode that deals a lot with her grief would be episode eight, which is kind of like, you know, her Christmas story type episode where she goes through the uh, uh, past and present of her life or just goes through her whole life. When we start seeing about where we actually get, do get the flashback of her with the uh, bomb that sets off everything in Age of Ultron, kind of, where they kill her parents. And we also get the uh, the part that was, I didn't think we were going to get where how she gets her powers from the, the Mind Stone, which... So, okay, let's go back to the to Agatha taking her through the visions. Let's go back to Agatha, okay? Okay. I, so, I, so if you think about Agatha as the nexus, right? 
Yes, nexus of okay. all realities. So we're we're gonna treat time the way time exists, which is another dimension of space that we just experience, right, in a linear fashion. But if you take the reveal of Agatha, it actually goes in both directions, right? It goes backwards in terms of how you reinterpret the events up to that point, and then forwards of what happened since then. I want to start by going backwards with the Agatha reveal, which was very specifically given to us um, before, or, or sort of during, the, the, right after the reveal. Um, I don't want to talk about magic right now. I do want to mention, by the way, that again, the fact that there's magic, and specifically chaos magic, not only doesn't preclude mutancy, but in every major fantasy uh, story, from Tolkien, but especially Harry Potter and The Witcher, I mean, take Harry Potter and The Witcher. In The Witcher, they're called mutants, you know, and wizards and sorcerers are born with powers in a genetic fashion. Harry Potter is specifically about that. That's the muggles and the wizards, right? I mean, Harry right. Potter, they're, yeah. they're basically mutants, and and J.K. Rowling has talked about that, and clearly Andrei Sapkowski wrote The Witcher is influenced by that stuff as well. So this notion that, you know, I mean, Doctor Strange will have to put aside, and they're going to have to address this issue in that, but I, I, again, for me, uh, uh, let me put it this way. The fact that these two are, you know, chaos magic, you know, o o omega level or whatever, using the mutant term, to me, is, is totally uh, will work in the sort of retelling. I'm not going to call it um, retconning. In the retelling and re-envisioning of the, the origin story and bringing in the mutants, but again, as someone who's read more fantasy than all the science fiction and comic books combined since I was a kid and still do, there is almost no difference structurally between wizards and sorcerers or force users like Rey and Luke Skywalker who are born with it in their body and either manifested or not. But also there's always outside forces, whether it's training or, you know, uh, or a, a Sith Virgence or a Mind Stone that can manipulate it for good or bad or otherwise. So again, guys, you know, I am an X-Men homer, but I do try and look at these things objectively. And uh, I actually love the angle they're going with the magic because this is a way for them to put a stamp on it, to connect it with Doctor Strange and tap into things that people love about magic and fantasy that's still very compatible in my opinion. Because let's be honest, you know, everyone from Dazzler to, you know, Jubilee essentially has like, you know, magical wizard powers in the X-Men. Uh, it's just a matter of how you frame it or whatever. So I love the magic thing. So talk to me about Agatha. That's something I had no expectation, even with the spoilers, the whole history of that could have been, what, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago? Talk a little bit about the uh, suddenly seeing Agatha's history, what we saw in your interpretation of it. Yeah, so that struck me around the time probably of the uh, Salem Witch, Witch Trials, probably. So that's got a bit be a hundred or... I'm. I, I, years ago, I'm. Wait. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put. A th it was definitely hearkening to the Salem witch trials, but because it was witches burning a witch, and because in all again, in all major fantasy tellings from Game of Thrones to Lord of the Rings 
to Harry Potter and definitely The Witcher. We're getting an entire Witcher series about the ancient history of the elves and the magic users. In almost all of these tellings, the magic users, whether it's Gandalf or whether it's, you know, uh, e even some of the sorcerers who are hundreds of years old or more in The Witcher and so forth, um, are some of the earliest people that exist. And so because it was witches burning a, a witch... I don't think at all that was Salem. It was hearkening, again, like so much in the show, to parts of American history that people are familiar with. And that's fine if people assume that. I don't think that's the case at all. And I think that if you look at what's the lore that we've, the high magic lore, if you will, that we have gotten from Doctor Strange and so forth, I think she could be hundreds or even thousands of years old, potentially. I'm not saying she is. But I don't think there's any evidence against it. And I just think it's cool that they left it open. Your interpretation, totally valid. I can see it. But I also, as a fantasy person, could see that being, you know, the chaos wars, you know, of the ancient sorcerers and, you know, sor sorceresses, you know, in the early days or whatever, or sometime in between. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, that they try to make it a point that she's a, a villain because, even her own mother thinks she's too dangerous to be kept alive. So that, you know, the, the kind of stamp on the coffin that makes her like the final boss basically of the show. So she's being burned so. there and she's crying, uh, Agatha, you know, in pain and begging them not to do it. And they're insisting on, you know, doing whatever they're going to do with their magic or just murder her. And yeah. then she goes, she goes Scarlet Witch, right? She goes Scarlet Witch long before. I mean, this is directly teasing right. what's going to happen with Wanda, guys. Spoiler alert. In some fashion, what we see with Agatha in that scene is directly, directly referencing um, or at least teasing strongly what, what we're going to see and how it's going to manifest when Wanda goes through that. So the question is, was she faking the pain and the anguish in order to suck all their powers in? Or is she yes. as, or what, or in the comics, it's very clear that Wanda is as truly, extremely, horrifically bipolar as she pretends to be. And her evil side and good side are in equal measure. Oh, I thought you, hey. What's I, up? I thought you were talking about Agatha, because I said Agatha. I'm sorry. Agatha was faking the... Uh, Pretending to be upset. Right, but what I'm saying is, knowing what we know about the Scarlet Witch in the comics and what we've seen from Elizabeth Olsen's performance of Wanda, I mean, we have to at least consider, especially seeing her tear up revisiting Wanda's memories and begging her at the end and saying, we have a connection and stuff like that. I, 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 look, look. We can't say that that the Wanda's not evil and that Agatha's evil. That uh, that is completely impossible. The measure to which there's a good side and an evil side. Agatha's much older and has such, done a lot more horrible things. And everything Wanda's done that's bad can be mostly explained away with her young age and the trauma that she's gone through, right? And the grief. That, but that being said, as you've said, you know, I mean, uh, you know. Uh, Han has you know, already said she wants to come back. I'm sure people wanted to come back. They definitely left it open. My feeling is, even if it's a Kylo Ren, Darth Vader thing, there's at least, and I'm not saying she'll be redeemed, but there at least has to be a kernel of 
regret or remorse or, you know, um, uh, just confusion and mental illness. Like uh, you talk about grief. To me, this is all about mental illness. Um, it has to do with our own experiences. But, you know, Elizabeth Olsen, who seems to be a totally well-adjusted person, although possible, <laughs> you know, I want to get too psychoanalytic here. It's possible watching her sisters over the years, you know, that, that she's had some insights um, just into the film industry and, and, you know, what people go through and so forth. But to me, this is a tale of mental illness. Again, this is being informed by my familiarity with the House of M and Wanda in the comics, who is, you know, the ultimate mentally ill person who also has ultimate power. And, and you know, that's, that's the whole thing. So I'm saying Agatha all along and the, the caricature portrayal by Han on purpose that <laughs> I'm the evil witch, but with little signs and cues, I'm not saying she's going to be redeemed, but I could see a Vader-Luke situation where in her last moment she does one good thing to either help Lizzie or help the world. Like, it's possible she comes back in the end, uh, you know, maybe not totally voluntarily, to help fight Wanda because she's the only one who can, right? I mean, there's not a lot of people who can fight Wanda. She took on Wanda more than Thanos. We'll see about Doctor Strange. But as far as I can tell, Agatha Harkness gave Wanda a much harder fight than anyone else we've seen by a long shot. And that says a lot on its own. Go ahead. Yeah, and plus she's the only one who really could stand toe-to-toe with Wanda because it was basically magic. Okay, so let's let's get into the nerd stuff here. Okay, so why? Why her? Because I think there's two possibilities, and it could be a combination. Well, One is, hold on, one is is just straight power. One is... Okay, go ahead. Well, don't forget, she also... Obtained dark, the Darkhold book, so she must have been studying that for a couple of few years. Right, but she also was in Wanda's head the whole time. So the extent to which she weakens... Okay, so she was very clear that Wanda had powers that she did not have. And unfortunately for Agatha... Wanda learned Agatha's tricks before Agatha could learn Wanda's tricks, right? That's basically what happens, was Agatha revealed too much in her thirst to have what what Wanda had, and Wanda used the runes. She, like, Wanda is so smart and powerful, she picked up on the chaos magic and the runes and all of that so quickly that she was able to trap Agatha in her own game, essentially. But Agatha was very clear that Wanda had something she didn't have, so, do you see what I'm saying? Like, is it was was it a straight just two ener- yeah. two energy blasts that happened to you know even out in the middle and you know or do we have to work in the fact that she was really tearing apart Wanda from the inside and sort of weakening her? Sort of like let's put it this way. So people say, oh, you know, Kylo Ren lost every fight that he had, you know, but he had to fight Ray and. Finn, but he had also taken a crossbow shot from Chewie directly to the chest with no armor before all that happened. 
plus all the emotionality and just the surprise that Ray was the super Jedi he didn't see coming. So, you know, so, so I, what I'm saying is we have to at least take into account that, the, that, that Wanda the Scarlet Witch was not fighting at, let's say, end of Infinity War power, where she was holding off Thanos and ripping the mind gem out while crying at the same time, right? Like, that's Wanda at, like, a thousand percent power already there. I don't know. Those are different interpretations. There could be more. I'm interested what yours is about the, the power comparisons there. Because Ultimate Wanda did win yeah. on numerous well, also, levels. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't win because that and she did take I I would say some of the ma- of her magic, not all of it mm-hmm. in that last b- battle. Mm-hmm. Because there was that scene where she had like her hand looked like it was like almost like it's best bet to say it was like like rotting almost. Right, which I think was an illusion, clearly, because she that it was right before then she reversed the whole thing. And dude, by the way, Doctor Strange, right, yeah. and m- Multiverse of, of Madness or whatever, you know, he's an illusionist. I mean, l- look. I know I had tons of theories about Endgame. Just to recap, I called the entire first act. I called time travel. I called quantum physics, you know. Um, uh, and uh, what, But the thing I called that wasn't wrong but wasn't explored was what was Doctor Strange's plan. And my feeling was the 14 million to 1 chance was that he did something in the time stone um, when he was hiding it from Thanos. Master of Illusion, right? He gave Thanos a time stone. Uh, the the fake one, and then they went through this whole fight, and then he gave it to Thanos. And my theory, even after Infinity War, was they had Doctor Strange had to put up a fight with his buddies that looked so convincing that he would have to give up the stone to save his friends. And, and he was tricking Thanos already then. Do you see what I'm saying? If he gave it up so freely to Thanos from the beginning, yeah. Thanos would be suspicious. And so the beginning of Doctor Strange's plans and manipulation, and we're going to learn more about this with Wanda, starts when he gives the fake gem, and then they go through the huge fight to the point where Tony's and, and Spidey and all of them are about to die. Um And says, okay, Thanos, okay, you win. You know, even though I, you know, I think he could have beaten Thanos there, but the 14 million to one was not for him to beat Thanos there. It was, it was, had to be whatever this manipulation was with the time gem. And then Dr. Strange's plans where the Ashified people just go to another dimension in the multiverse and then come back at the moment of need at the end, having something to do with the fate of the original Avengers. And I don't know, you know, it's not a coincidence. Avengers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but dude, both Dr. Strange and uh, the Scarlet Witch were Ashified in Infinity War, and they came back fully aware of, you know, their plan to take on Thanos at the end of Endgame. So what happened in the other side, you know, the other half of the universe while they were in there all that time, right? We're going to have to be told about that, and it's yeah. going to tie into what this is, and that's just another level of brilliance is this did so much setting up, but, like, you know, like, the best Marvel movies, and I would say, you know, like, even the best Star Wars movies, it was so 
gripping. It's like Rogue One. Like, okay, Rogue One's technically about the Death Star plans, but it's so gripping on a character and plot and action adventure and, and film and, you know, every emotional level that it becomes almost a sideshow. And then later you're like, wow, that's how the flaw in the Death Star happened. And that's actually the most brilliant and logical explanation completely explains the Death Star flaw in the original New Hope movie. And it doesn't even seem like a retcon at this point because it makes total sense, doesn't contradict anything, and is really the only way that it could have possibly happened. And it created the amazing character story of the Ursos and, and Krennic and so forth, right? That's how I feel with this. And, you know, again, I don't expect or care if people are thinking that far ahead. But just, just to circle back to what I said in the beginning... Um, and I'm going to throw it to you um, for thoughts, and then we're going to take a very quick break um, for about five minutes. I'm going to play some music so we can uh, use the facilities and so forth, and I'll come back for a wrap-up where I want to talk specifically about Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, um, Han, and talk about the actors and the production and so forth. Um, but the amount of setting up they did without seeming to be setting up anything is absolutely brilliant, and the reason I didn't care about the spoilers was because I wanted to see Elizabeth Olsen being amazing. I wanted to see this production being awesome, the writing being absolutely spectacular, stuff we've never seen before, and I wanted it to take me on a surreal, bizarre, weird fucking ride, even knowing some of the spoilers, to the point where my brain was scrambled, and when Agatha All Along happened, I probably had even heard Agatha All Along happened, I still was surprised by it, because the show just scrambled my brain, you know, so much, uh, I, I, I just, I can't say enough. Um, about that so before we take our quick break man and we'll come back for a wrap-up and then we're going to tease some future stuff we're going to do i'm going to do but also hopefully with you um and we'll, we'll wrap up just by talking about the production itself the actors actresses writing directors etc um uh, so final question on the lore side of things for yeah. now did you feel like it is setting up as much as i think it's setting up and did you think it was a back just waiting for Jason let's see when Jason's back let me take you out of the music here real quick so I'm gonna bring Jason back on uh, for a few minutes thank you for joining us um, we wanted to keep this first one relatively short, uh, both for numerous reasons. One is as I enter Bizzlecast 2.0 phase, which I'm not stopping talking about comic books and Star Wars, but I am entering in a new phase uh, where the podcast is part of a much larger project, has to do with the book I'm writing, has to do with science, science fiction, so it is still connected to the stuff. And because I've got great friends like Jason and my friends like The Sire Continues, we're going to continue talking about this. Um, but one of the, my uh, uh, commitments to myself as a podcaster is to do uh, sort of mini-series that, that aren't three-hour podcasts that are sort of more like one-hour podcasts 
that lead to it. I think Jason uh, just joined us. Yes, indeed. I am back. So, Jason, in the spirit of not the three-hour podcast, um, I do want to end talking about Elizabeth Olsen in particular and the production in general. Just to yep. tease a few things, guys, uh, just to restate, um, I am definitely doing commentaries on the last two or three episodes. Um, if I do the whole show, then be prepared for it to be very busily in terms of film uh, theory and, and film writing and so forth. Now, I do talk about the stuff in The Witcher, um, bec- and this is a very literary production, even though you know it's based on a comic book, not a book. It's a very literary production, and, and the material it's based on is you know very sort of highbrow, I guess you would say, you know, sort of intellectual. Uh, type stuff as you know x-men's always very heady in the mutant situation but this is particularly heady as as me and my friends say um so it will be more information about the commentaries definitely the last few ones uh jason i've asked you off air but i'll ask you on air would you be interested in doing possibly the final episode with me i i could try (laughs) what do you mean you've already done some great ones yeah yeah i said i'll I'll try well, I thought I thought what would be good is I'm actually going back to the House of M uh, because I told you on the last podcast. Well, I love the House of M. I particularly love the you know the two or three year run after it with the Messiah Complex, Deadpool, Cable, Hope, yeah. and uh, the Second Coming, and so sort of the aftermath of the House of M because the House of M is the Defenders and the Avengers and stuff that I'm interested in. But again, the mutant you know with Wolverine and Deadpool and Professor X and Scott Summers is always going to be the stuff I'm most interested in. Plus, it's like a dark you know it's like Children of Men but thirty times darker. Um, so I thought it would be cool for you and I. Um, to uh, uh, you know, revisit the House of N um, book, um, yep. maybe some Doctor Strange stuff, do a little lore talk off air, do a little lore reading, and then what we would do is, if you're okay with it, we just do the final episode, um, but we we do the final episode and we follow that with a 20-30 minute, and that'll be our predictions podcast for Doctor Strange. How do you feel about that as as a, as a podcast? That that sounds good. I'll I'll try to do it as long as Disney Plus doesn't crash. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can I can, know, I can uh, I can make sure it'll be okay. Okay. Yeah, as okay. long as, as people don't realize, you know, WandaVision, a few episodes of WandaVision did crash Disney Plus. So. Or did it? It did. I don't know. They were pretty quick to tie it into the theme of the show. Yeah. Okay. So. We're not. I'm going to tease Doctor Strange predictions as going to be part of the commentaries and in future podcasts. If nothing else, you're definitely coming on to do uh, lore talk slash predictions for Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. and I have to get the Doctor Strange predictions out uh, ASAP because we've got great ones, and we'll probably be right on most of them. And the ones we're wrong on will be hilarious. We got to get it on tape, right? That's part of the Bizzlecast. Yep. And I know there are people who are probably wondering what happened to the uh, Batman podcast we were going to do uh well luckily we I didn't mean, record that and i didn't release it we just never recorded it because that's a huge project and with the delay of the batman and the fact that gotham well, knights it, is still hold on and the fact that gotham knights is still a little ways off 
I always felt fine that we didn't rush it, and especially because I could tell at the time that I was going to have trouble getting podcasts out. So we did not do that yet, and we we're definitely doing it. As I've said uh, on the uh, few podcasts that I've done, Jason, um, you know, in the last six months, I said I am moving away from doing tons of comic book and Star Wars stuff, but not because I don't want to do it, just because I have other things I want to do in Bizzlecast 2.0 and the new project and the book and everything. But with you, we're definitely going to keep doing deep dives and the big one that's going to launch the nerd side of Bizzlecast 2.0, which officially is going to launch, you know, early to mid-summer, I think, um, will be the multi-part series. That'll be a deep dive into the history of Batman, the movie coming up, the comics that we've read, The Court of Owls, Year One, and so forth, which I want to take our time on as a full mini-series, maybe have other guests and so forth. So I'm, I'm at maybe more committed to that than ever as sort of the main nerd thing uh, to lead into it. That's my promise to you. Yeah. And, and I don't think we're in a, any rush because, you know, the Batman just finished production. So so we're going to start getting some information about that. We're getting more Court of Vows. And as we get closer to Gotham Knights, we're going to get more lore from that as well. And so, I yeah, th- yeah, 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 we're getting a Gotham Knights comic book, right? We're getting all sorts of stuff, man. And so yeah. I think I think if we do sort of three to five episodes, but space them two to three weeks apart and record them let's say over the next two to three months, then I can release it all as a mini series and we'll have gotten information all, all through then. I think it would be really cool as sort of a, an ongoing, you know, NPR style kind of mini series um, where we have more information each time. I think it would be super cool. Yep. And, and I, and I'll probably be, be reading all these comics since I got DC infinite. And, and I think we can both agree without talking about other properties that we don't love and without talking about controversies with people we thought we loved. And you know, I'm not going to go into details um, because I'm filtering out of my brain like I filter on Twitter. But let me just say, I think you and I are excited for Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, Batman, to be the other great Batman along with Christian Bale. And while Christian Bale will always be the superior actor because he's basically the superior actor to everybody, although Pattinson it looks like Oscar material at some point, potentially, it's possible because Matt Reeves is going to do the most nerdy, not saying the best, Matt Reeves is definitely going to do the most nerdy, loyal version of Batman we've ever gotten. It's possible that Pattinson is going to be the most loyal version of Batman we've ever gotten, and you and I are both rooting for that strongly, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Like I said, it looks very Earth One. Okay, quick tease of Batman, and then I really want to finish on talking about Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Which is with the production wrapping up. Have you heard anything other than it went great with Batman, the Batman? No, this nope. I heard it went well, despite what people are trying to spread on Twitter. It went well. I just know that Zoe Kravitz has seemed um, as a crazy, insane, but awesome and kind of happy just to be living life as ever, even though she said nothing about the Batman because she can't say anything about the Batman, just like Zendaya can't say anything about Dune. Um, and I interpret that as no good as new news. If Zoe's happy, things I'm sure are going well and you know, again, you and I have both heard the same thing about Pattinson, which is 
you know, while well, well, his early career had some weird twists and turns, he's only been good, and mostly in good movies, or at least good in movies, since the beginning, and people love working with him. People love working with Matt Reeves. People love working with Zoe Kravitz. Uh, as crazy as Paul Dano is, people certainly love at least acting with him. So I think no news is good news. And while I don't want to say COVID, you know, was a positive, it did give them a perfect smokescreen to have absolutely nothing in their face while they did it. And I think, I'm not going to say blessing in disguise disguise because COVID is absolutely horrifying, but it had a little tiny side effect of distracting us from being obsessed with it. And so all the secrets remain secrets as far as I can tell. And I think it's a good thing. That's my final thought. Your final thought on Batman, then we got to talk Elizabeth Olsen to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, it went good. Uh, I, I, I knew it wrapped because Jeffrey White posted a picture of himself as Gordon and was, he seemed super psyched and excited to, uh, to, to play that character once again i think he's going to be playing gordon the tv show but that's a suggestion for another day but yes so uh and i'm controlling myself about all the backroll rumors i'm controlling myself because we finally got a barbara gordon who's absolutely perfect as the post-killing joke oracle barbara gordon and savannah welch who's perfect on every level both real life her acting talent her looks her real history and I, I, I just hope that the promise of her becoming a major character, regardless if, you know, she trains and there are future backgrounds, which there definitely will be, and that's great, that she's our, uh, obviously we love America Young already, who's voicing Batgirl in Gotham Knights. We love her, and I follow her, and she's great at communicating online. All of them are. Christopher, um, Christopher Sean and, uh, you know, uh, uh, all those guys have been awesome. America Young's amazing. I can't wait for that back. But in terms of live action, for right now, Savannah Welch, I just have to say it while we're on this topic, please, DC, let her be our Barbara Gordon, at least for a couple of years in all media. But the way she talks about it, man, and how few projects she's taken outside of music since her, her, her accident makes me think that the Titans thing which I will be watching, uh, will, is going to launch her into uh, it, to her own show. Um, it has to happen. All the signs are indicating that that's the case. And uh, I'm thrilled with it. And I just wish I trusted DC enough to be able to be... It's like with Elizabeth Olsen. You know, when she broke out... Yes, Joss Whedon directed and wrote it. We're not going to talk about Joss Whedon, but he still is a genius, and he still discovered Elizabeth Olsen and made her who she is, along with Jeremy Renner and the other actors. But, you know, I, I knew that if... Let's put it this way. In 2015, if my theory at that point that she was as brilliant and going to be even more brilliant as I thought and felt she was and would continue to be even more and more, I knew she was in good hands with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wish I felt that way with DC Comics. I'm going to leave it at that. And then Matt Reeves has his own thing going with the movies, so that's totally fine. In terms of on television... Things are getting a lot better, and so I, I, I know I'm just going on my high horse here about Batgirl, but we're talking about Batman. I love Savannah Welch already. She's done great work. She's been in some of the most classic movies in the last few years. She's an acclaimed musician who is friends with acclaimed musicians and actors and so forth. Perfect casting. Please, DC, don't screw up Barbara Gordon. Sorry, I'll get off my high horse. And then speaking of amazing young female redheaded actors, I mean, the redheads are everywhere. It's great. So Scarlet Witch is a redhead, right? Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow with red hair. 
You got Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. Now everyone's dying their hair red. Gwyneth Paltrow's a redhead. I mean, it's just crazy all over the place. Us redheads taking over the world. So this is a great transition, man, into Elizabeth Olsen. You were on the Elizabeth Olsen bandwagon with me. You discovered me listening to my Age of Ultron podcast because you love it too, and we love it more than almost like more than most people, and we loved her in it. You talked about how Civil War was the one that really opened your eyes to her, and that makes total sense because while she had less screen time, they let her actually be an Avenger and like have. Oh, by the way, dude, I'll lead you into you talking about Elizabeth Olsen. Do you remember I talked, we were watching the clips of Lizzie in that podcast and we were going through the movies and there's that scene with her and Vision in the kitchen where he's cooking and she's being cute Lizzie and they're kind of flirting and then it gets weird. I said at the time, I said, this is WandaVision. I was like, this domestic life. So it's amazing. So not only Joss Whedon and them setting it up in Ultron, but specifically the Russos giving us a, a hint calling him Viz and him being, you know, kind of human and awkward around her and clearly in love and their romance and how they sold that was set up brilliantly by the Russos in, in Civil War uh, as well. So, Elizabeth Olsen, go ahead, my friend. All right. Well, you know... It, wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. Before we go, I have to... You had the best one-word Twitter response of all time. So let me just lead in with this. And uh, you can deliver this as dramatically as you want. Okay, you ready? Okay. There's only one question about Wanda Maximoff as portrayed by Elizabeth Olsen. Do we give her the Emmy now or later? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's possible. Now and later. Yeah, oh, man. Okay. Wanda Maximoff, Elizabeth Olsen, go ahead. All right. Well... You know that this show has been a well I said it earlier, this show is a roller coaster at this point. Phys, you know, you, you some sometimes some shows leave you with more questions than answers. And but we all can agree that uh Elizabeth Olsen does shine in this show. She is a star. And this is Lizzie's world, and we're just living in it, I guess. So here's how I categorize the jumps. So the first movie was the breakout that she could do all of it. She could act with the best actors in the world. She could be an Avenger. She could be complex, arguably the most complex character in the MCU already at that point, right? Um, And work with Jeremy Renner and then work with him again in the brilliant Wind River. They clearly had chemistry. Jeremy Renner's, that's... You know, I don't want to go into the accusation, the bullshit accusations, but Jimmy Renner is so clearly great. He's got a young daughter he's so close with. He spends all his time with. He's so great with young women. And you could just see him doing it again with Haley Steinfeld now, who admittedly is much more experienced and famous and has done a lot more than uh, Elizabeth Olsen has. I think that's more of a collaboration, whereas Elizabeth Olsen and Ultron with him and Wind River was a little bit more of a, you know, uh, older brother, younger sister, disciple, you know, informal master Padawan thing, which is great. So the first jump was the introduction. Second jump is, as you point out, Civil War, where she started becoming more human, having relationships, being an Avenger seeing different sides. 
and so forth, very sympathetic. Then the third jump was just the power displays, right? Let's be honest. She was only in five minutes, essentially, of the final two Avengers movies, but they're so memorable because in both cases, she almost kills Thanos in very dramatic circumstances with her power growing and growing and growing. And this was a turn back to, yes, they delivered on the powers. I know the nerds complained the whole time. You and I knew we were going to get a power display, and Lord was it glorious. And again, like with Jessica Jones in the final couple episodes, I'm personally happy happy that they waited till the last episode or two to get all the powers you know i love the drama stuff i know you do too we got the power display but this was the jump back into okay let's see all the things she can do and she can do all the things go ahead yeah and they they treated it like uh her name scarlet witch as something that had to be earned or like or like a foretelling it's like it was foretold that someone with some certain powers would ha- would be the Scarlet Witch, something like that. So Scarlet Witch, you know, it's not just because of the red hair. It's for sure in the comics referring to the Scarlet Letter, um, uh, liter- literary-wise. Um, and this, again, going to the mental illness, the discrimination of mutants. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Between the mental illness... Uh, and the discrimination of mutants, you know, she's got two major strikes against her in terms of the rest of the world, right? Um, and uh, uh, so the Scarlet Letter is definitely being um, uh, referenced. Um, also, you know, the red of her powers, but, you know, red in general being like, you know, uh, it's a color of blood, it's the color of passion, it's the color of violence, it's the color of life. Uh, yep. There's a lot going into that. And by the way, you know, Riz Ahmed had, an, by the way, nominated for an Oscar. Riz Ahmed, first person from his part of the world ever nominated. Love Riz Ahmed. Uh, he had the most possible uh, job delivering the Rogue One uh, uh, thing in the movie that he handled great because he, he was sort of goofy looking and, and Jin was giving him a hard time. He was like, Rogue, Rogue One? <laughs> there is no Rogue One. And K2 goes, well, there is now. You know, that was an amazing... Uh, this was so flawless in calling her the Scarlet Witch. But, was, but, dude, it's interesting because I listened back on all my Wanda podcasts. I call her the Scarlet Witch more than Wanda, and that's just because I know about it. Yeah. It, 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 it never occurred to me that people didn't know till now that she was called the Scarlet Witch. It never occurred to well, me. Well, I mean, it was kind of set up where, where she, they're like... Uh, where Hayward goes to our boy, Randall Park, does she have an alias? And he he doesn't really answer because he doesn't really know. But that was kind of the, the setup in the punchline was when uh, Catherine Hahn calls her the Scarlet Witch and fanboys around the world rejoice when they hear the name Scarlet Witch. And we got the costumes on Halloween and then we got the real costume at the end. I mean, this, yeah, is, yeah. this, is, this is their Wonder Woman, man. That's the thing. Despite the, the more than mixed reaction to Wonder Woman 1984, there's no question. Okay. There's no question. The one character and the one thing that DC Comics got right the first time, completely from the personality to the mythos to the look, was clearly Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman Diana Prince in the first one. And this is, you know, other than Tony, you know, Tony Stark as Iron Man. But even Logan, you know, obviously Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. That wasn't a challenge. But even Logan Wolverine took a while to really become fully developed. Didn't really get his full treatment until Logan um, much later. Some these characters sometimes take, you know, Cap- 
Chris Evans when you watch the first movie, still growing into Captain America. It doesn't happen until the Winter so- after the Avengers and the Winter Soldier. Thor is constantly growing into it, um, you know, and being asked to do so much stuff. This was something that they, the, 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 for the first time, completely nailed the character, the costume, the powers, and the looks. But as I've said, man, I know she had a finger coach and a magic coach in Age of Ultron that she doesn't need anymore. But as I said in my commentary for Endgame and going back to Ultron, I re-released just me geeking out. You probably saw that one-minute clip I put on Twitter where I was doing a play-by-play of just Scarlet Witch in the final Endgame battle. Elizabeth Olsen, from the beginning, has known somehow how to manifest the look and feel of the Scarlet Witch so that that costume looks absolutely fitting on her does not look goofy it's where it belongs and as much as i love scarlett johansson we've seen her be an awesome assassin in other movies chris evans basically is captain america chris hemsworth has had the highest level of difficulty i think of the main avengers because he's so different all of the different thors are different from chris hemsworth himself so he's really acting outside himself robert downey jr is iron man they're mostly acting like themselves or in roles that they've done elsewhere you know uh, part of the reason they made jeremy renner a family man as hawkeye even though hawkeye is definitely not a family man in the comics and we'll see some of that teased in the kate bishop series um, but, but because Jeremy Renner is, is that guy in real life, uh, that wholesome uh, um, and family oriented. And so they, you know, Joss Whedon wrote that character, much different Hawkeye around him, right? Uh, Elizabeth Olsen, dude, is clearly playing outside of herself. And if there's one thing we know, that whether it's Amelia Clark or Lena Headey playing crazy, evil, magical uh, or evil queen characters in Game of Thrones, whether it's Claire Danes, you know, being super bipolar at Homeland, or whether it's Tatiana Maslany, future She-Hulk, playing a million versions of herself in Orphan Black, all of whom won Emmys, they love to award actresses who can do this virtuosic thing where they play a million different versions of themselves, sometimes all at the same time or in a row. And so forget the comic book thing, the Emmy, when we talk about Emmys and awards, this performance is right in line with Amelia Clark, Lena Headey, Claire Danes, and Tatiana Maslany. It, there's a perfect continuum of that's the kind of thing they like to award with these relatively young, virtuosic, off the wall, but totally, you know, three plus dimensional female characters. You can respond to that or whatever. Um, go ahead. All right. Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, before the rant, uh, you know, uh, the way they are treating, uh, Scarlet Witch, right, especially in this show, they're treating her more so like the Dark Phoenix, so she will be better. Oh, wait, but- sorry, quick, quick pause, quick pause. Before this happened, go back to the prediction podcast, but this, this is not just pat on the back for me, this is a major applause. I said to you that I thought they were building the Scarlet Witch into the Jean Grey that they tried to do with Famke Jensen and never quite realized, not her fault, she's amazing. They tried to do with Sophie Turner, never quite realized, she's spectacular. I still love Sophie Turner, and she's going to continue to have a great career in front of her. But dude, the fact that this was finally the realization, you know, in a lot of ways, both sort of metaphorically, but also, you know, with the explosion of power, of crazy power, unpredictable power, with this being, you know, the Phoenix and Kevin Feige getting to do it right with her, 
honestly, dude, Kevin Feige would be the first to admit that it was teed up because guess what? Wanda Maximoff is the Jean Grey in the comics of the 21st century. She is. I mean, Jean Grey was the central character of everything. In Days of Future Past, Cable, All the Summers, etc. in the 80s and 90s, which is why they kept using her over and over again, right? You know enough about Marvel history to know that the main, you know, super omega level, psychic, telepathic, telekinetic, unlimited power character in the 80s and 90s with the X-Men was Jean Grey, but since the House of M in the early 2000s through till today, in the legacy of it, is a Scarlet Witch. And so it was only natural that, you know, it, let's, right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, this wasn't just like, haha, we're going to do Jean Grey better, but with the Scarlet Witch, it's like, no, like, this is, you know, uh, what happened in the comics. And the fact that Wanda is more complicated in the comics than Jean Grey is just a progression of our society, you know, dealing with these issues of grief and mental illness and so forth, more complicated in 2015 than 1985, right? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And But anyway, you know, I want you to talk about the Jean Grey thing because you and I both saw that coming and you and I immediately, I was watching it, we didn't watch it together, I wish we did, watch the final episode together in hindsight. I know you well enough to know that you and I immediately thought Dark Phoenix when that happened. So I I want you to continue that train of thought, and then we'll, well get final thoughts for now. Well, I already, I already, well, we'll have to go to the episode. If you had to encapsulate the thing as as a comic book nerd that made you think Dark Phoenix at that moment. To, yeah, yeah, I, I was gonna say when we went to the episode where she went through all like her past and future. When you look, when she interacts with the Mind Stone, she sees uh, the Scarlet Witch costume inside it, kind of telling who she's meant to become. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a foreshadow to the final episode where she becomes the full Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. So. All right. I mean, all right, man. Well. I specifically wanted this to be the first of a multi-part, and whether it's the commentary, as part of the Doctor Strange, I mean, look, you're definitely coming back on to do a lore talk that's a combination of comics and Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, and, and we'll, we'll eventually talk about White Vision and his uh, philosophical uh, commentary with uh, Wanda's vision. So, Sorry, my mom's yelling in the background. She, she talks on her iPad with Zoom with people, and they scream at each other because they're old people, and they use speakerphone instead of headsets. And <laughs> I'm going to record her one of these days because she swears she's not screaming, but, God, she's just yelling over there. Um, well, if, what I said was, and eventually we will talk about, you know, the white vision and Wanda's vision uh, theological, you know, uh, discussion at the final episode, too. So, All right, man. Well... I think if you weren't convinced that Elizabeth Olsen could do it all, the office talking into the camera episode, I think, might be the one, right? Uh, let me... Uh... So, if, if you would, we've teased everything that's coming forward. Thank you so much for being on. I might take a, um, a, an intro in front of this. Um, to prepare people for it and to reinforce the Batman podcast, the Wanda podcast, etc., coming forward. Thank you so much for being on. I want to end with the final clip on that playlist. We've all been there with Elizabeth Olsen. Um, 
because, you know, I mean, look, you know that there are actresses that I'm quote-unquote in love with just as actresses, like Kelly Steinfeld. Then there's actresses I'm in love with both as actresses and just generally in love with, like Felicity Jones and Amelia Clark. Elizabeth Olsen is right on the fence. I, I keep trying to tell myself I'm just in love with her as an actress, but God, is she charismatic. And, you know, she, she, let me put it this way. She's magnetic, and I'm going to say something, which is, first of all, Haley Steinfeld, I am so sorry I doubted you for, like, that three-week period in September. It was a bad time, and I was mad at you because I thought you were, turn, I th I thought you were turning your nose up at Hawkeye in Marvel, and I knew WandaVision was coming, and by the way, dude, I am sticking to my theory that part of the reason Kevin Feige fast-tracked WandaVision was to convince Haley Steinfeld that they could do Dickinson-level drama in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how much he wanted her, and he wanted her to see that Lizzie Olsen was going to be the one. Uh, I think for sure she saw footage, and that was part of the reason they brought on board. So Haley, I'm sorry. I cannot wait for uh, – Dickinson was amazing from what I've seen. I cannot wait for Hawkeye. This is the two shows I'm most excited about, my Stark, Rod Stark Rogers theories. That definitely you, these two are going to be frenemies. But, dude, I have to say, okay, I'm going to give you my big surprise. I'm going to give you final thought, and we're going to go out on this Lizzie clip, which is I told you I wasn't surprised she was this good. I said I wasn't surprised the show was this good, but it was at the upper, upper, upper level of potential that, you know what I mean? Like if there's a bell curve, like I thought there was a, there was a five to 10% chance it would be this good. There's <laughs> there's a chance, right? But it's a five to 10% chance it was this good. I said, I thought there was a 70, 80% chance Lizzie would be this good. I didn't think the show would be this good. But the fact that I'm wondering whether Elizabeth Olsen now has a higher ceiling than Haley Steinfeld, and two of them are going to go neck and neck uh, together in Marvel is just is, is unbelievable. And, and uh, honestly, dude, I think Marvel, this is my big picture Marvel thing, Marvel needed this. And I was listening to a podcast they did with Matt Goisman between uh, Infinity War and Endgame, or maybe right after Endgame, where we said Black Panther was cool, Captain Marvel was popular, but hasn't aged well. Doctor Strange doesn't seem like it's going to go on forever. And while Cumberbatch has gotten better, it's still kind of a weird character. And now with the, the Chadwick Boseman sadly dying in the turbulence with Black Panther, they needed the faces of the franchise going forward, but they needed them to be as good actors as Robert Downey Jr. and, and Chris Hemsworth and Scarlett Johansson. And now we for sure have three in Elizabeth Olsen, Haley Steinfeld, and Future She-Hulk, which is the other one I can't wait for, Tatiana Maslany. I wish you would watch at least the first season or two of Orphan Black. It's absolutely so entertaining. It's spectacular. After Jim Patrol. She's, she's the best, but she's older, and, and you know she's had to do more. Um, but uh, she's the best of all the actresses. Um, and the fact that a BBC America show that only uh, fringe nerds watched beat out Homeland and Game of Thrones to give her an Emmy after four or five seasons of Orphan Black, and almost no one in the theater even heard of her or heard of the show, just shows how spectacular it is. And she's going to be winning again in She-Hulk. That's why Mark Ruffalo wants a big piece of that show, because he knows how good she is. So I, those three, at least, are, are very positive going forward. And so yeah. I have to think that the Kevin Feige, who knows what he's doing and knew it would be this good, just like I suspected it would be this good, has to be thrilled at America's reaction that it was this great, but specifically that she was this great. And that was my thing. It was, I, I, I didn't care if the show was perfect. I didn't care 
if America loved it across the board, but I wanted to come out of this with America loving or at least being very fascinated in the future of Elizabeth Olsen as an actress and a character. Jason Renner, do you think we accomplished this? Yes, we do. Cece Puede, yes, we can. All right, final thoughts on Wanda, and we'll take them out on the clip. All right. Uh, so Wanda's ceiling is very high. Uh, I know this is just the beginning, they said, of her journey. I guess we're going to see the rest in Doctor Strange, too. As we know, in the end credits, she does have the dark hold. And here's... And that was completely for the non-hardcore fans, because we all know that it's leading directly into that. But her floating in the air doing the you know the buddhist mantra thing but like dark magic thing flipping through it is great i love fantasy and honestly dude that was the other thing i wanted to say was despite all my mutant theories if it turns out that it's just magic they sold it so well with her and agatha and the chaos magic and just the amount that i've gotten more interested in dr strange after the last couple of movies and where it seems to be going me being the huge x-men fan knowing they'll be reintroduced but if this particular storyline ends up just being ancient magic the way we're going to see with the witcher with siri and the elder blood and so forth and blah 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 and you know aragorn and lord of the rings I love that shit, and I'm totally in on, on the magic thing at this point. So I just want America to know, while I'm a mutant homer, and I made a lot of, you know, uh, I think at least salient points as to how this is potentially it reintroducing the X-Men, seeing the end of this and how it's going to Doctor Strange, I couldn't be more excited. That's clearly the film I'm most excited about. And, uh, you know, they have to be so thrilled that that's going to be, I, you know, I think the tentpole movie, at least in terms of pushing the main MCU uh, cosmology forward. Uh, yeah, next like, few years. like I said, it's going to be the uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, it is. Movie. You're exactly right. And the fact that all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., nine seasons of it was based on Captain America the Winter Soldier, that Hydra led to Ultron, it led to Civil War, it led to the splitting up of the Avengers, yeah, I mean, but it also led to Steve and Natasha becoming the heart of the team, and even when Steve left, after the snap, Natasha took over, and then she sacrificed herself, and no way, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, in terms of both the male-female team-up, um, and them being the clearly the crux now, in this case, they're the most powerful. What's interesting about Captain America the Winter Soldier is that other than Hawkeye, right, Cap and Natasha are the most human compared to Thor and Hulk and even Iron Man. You know what I mean? Um, and that, it, you know, it, that made a super spy thing. Doctor Strange is going to be on the other side. But clearly, this is the main male-female nexus and crux of the plot. Um, and you made that point in the last podcast, and we're going to talk about m that more on the predictions podcast. Because yeah, when I uh, listened back, I was like, "You were you were so right." Like I didn't even when you introduced that in the last podcast, it actually took me a few minutes to catch on to what you were saying because that comparison is already so on point in so many ways that we need at least twenty or thirty minutes of the podcast to talk about why that's the perfect comparison. Yeah, I have to re-listen, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> cool man thank you so much can't wait to do um hopefully the commentary but definitely the lore podcast and talk about the house of m finally um and uh you know i mean i i want to pat you and i on the back not for being right um but for sticking with our convictions that this is a you know a, a rare unique talent um, that's paired with a rare, unique comic book character.
right? Just like Diana um, and a handful of other characters that uh, we've gotten. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, as we said, you know, we'll talk about Doctor Strange too. Uh, I'm just going to give a little tease, I think, because remember, just so we, we know what we're going to talk about, I am going to try to lean into the fact that they did say that Wanda is more powerful and than the Sorcerer Supreme. So, oh, they, they also had a long discussion with Kat Dennings and so forth about how she's probably more powerful than Captain Marvel and should have killed Thanos. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, as I play a little bit of the end of the Ultron soundtrack here, thank yep, you so uh, much, my friend. I can't wait to continue doing this on and off air. Um, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't have sustained the nerd part of my podcast for so long. And honestly, man, I, I'm looking forward, even though I'm moving to talk about science and literature and politics. But definitely, I want those deep dive nerd lore podcasts. And I hope I can keep you on as long as possible, man, to keep doing yep. this. Yep, uh, I am going. Is is there if I promote uh, promote? Oh yeah, please. All right, uh, I'm going to plug because uh, the reason we're doing a podcast is because I did a another podcast recently. So if you guys want to check out me talking about the other stuff like uh, DC, you can check out the Novice Elite. I did a. Well, hold on. Let's not get it twisted. I made you promise. A year ago, that we would do a Wandavision wrap-up podcast. No, 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 no. I said, I said, I didn't do one for a little bit because I was on there. No, no, I understand. But what I was gonna say was, despite yeah, I, despite me excited that we're doing all these Marvel podcasts, let's not get it twisted. Our five-part Batman deep dive is going to be the deepest dive of any comic book thing we've ever done before, and it's not just. T- to play to your interest, which is part of it, but because I'm so excited about the Batverse and because he's the most important comic book character ever, there's no question about it, and I want people to not get it twisted. The Dark Knight is still the best comic book movie ever, and the Joker, in my opinion, portrayed by Heath Ledger, is still the best comic book villain, and we'll yes. talk about all that. Yes, but I was just gonna, I'm just plugging what I did recently. Right, so plug, plug, uh, plug the, the, the podcast or podcast, and then I'll put all the, it, the a, details a, a in the podcast. So I got the podcast with uh, two Canadians. Two Canadians. That's what it would be called. Yeah. Uh, the Novice Elite podcast. We did a commentary on one of the Superman cartoons in uh, Brightest Day, which is coming to HBO Max actually this week. So you can put on your Max and listen to me talk about Superman. So that would be fun. Awesome, dude. Yes. And uh, I'm supposed to be doing an animated Justice League movie at some point. So awesome, dude! Awesome, dude! All right, you ready to play this amazing Lizzie clip from the uh, Office episode, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Or All right. Family, whatever. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm gonna take our pictures off real quick, put it on full screen, and uh, are you lined up? And when I say go, we'll mute ourselves and and. Yep. We'll mute ourselves, watch it together, and uh, take us out that way. Any final thoughts? Uh, uh, just uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and Indeed. and I am Avengers. I am the Knight. I am the Jim Bell. Awesome. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Can't wait for future podcasts. Enjoy 81 Perfect Seconds with Elizabeth Olsen.
Look, we've all been there, right? <sighs> Letting our fear and anger get the best of us. Intentionally expanding <laughs> the borders of the false world we created. <laughs> oh this is the Doom Patrol stuff. Soon? Yeah. Mom, our band is freaking out. Oh, this is great. Old school controllers. Older school. A deck of Uno cards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mommy's not sleeping, honey. She's <laughs> just resting her eyes. Yeah. Mom, my head feels weird. It's like really noisy. This is this is the Kilgrave like thing. This is the Kilgrave. Resting. She's killgraving her fake children. It's so disturbing. As punishment for my reckless evening, this is it right I here. plan on taking a quarantine-style vacation. <laughs> a whole day. Whole day. Just to myself. This is a total Pam Beasley thing right here. Yeah, that's that's totally Jenna Fisher. <gasps> Another redhead. Oh man, she's in the costume. <laughs> oh god, she's good. Boom, perfect. Thanks again, Jimbo. Yeah. Disney yeah. Plus, guys. WandaVision. See you guys later.